Gospel of John, and so that's where we'll be today, John chapter number three, and uh, if you would look on with me there, begin reading in verse number one, and we'll read down through verse number seven of this particular uh, chapter, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll preach all the way down through verse number 18 or so with the time that the Lord has given us together this morning. The Bible says in John chapter number three and verse number one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. Father, we pray that you'd help us as we take the next few moments and try to work our way through this very familiar conversation that is recorded for us here in John chapter number three. Lord, in this conversation, you teach some very, very important, Lord, vital and life-giving, eternal spiritual truths that I believe that every man, every woman needs to hear. Lord, uh, what they do with that is between them and and you, Uh, but Lord, they need to hear at the very least, and so we pray, Lord, that you give us ears to hear this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would empty our minds and our hearts of the cares and the worries and the anxieties of today or the days to come or even the days that we have just recently lived, and may we just focus on what your Bible, your word has to say to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would fill us all, not just me as the preacher, but these who will listen. And Lord, may we leave this place not just having been a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word as well, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, I would encourage you to mark the final phrase found in verse number seven, where Jesus said, ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. This chapter, of course, reveals a a private conversation, or at least it was intended to be a private conversation between Jesus and a man by the name of Nicodemus, who is identified in verse number one as a ruler of the Jews. This meeting was conducted, according to verse number two, at night, and we believe that that was by design, likely because of the hatred that the Jews had for Jesus and his teaching. Nicodemus didn't want anyone to know that he was coming to Jesus and that he was seeking what Jesus was teaching and trying to discern what Jesus would have to say to him. And so he he came to him by night. Nicodemus, of course, had been exposed. He had been exposed to Jewish rites and 
and, and teachings and dogmas his whole life. Now, he was a trained and an educated man in these things. Uh, he likely lived a life in line with the best of what Judaism had to offer. Uh, because he was a ruler of the Jews, the Jews would not have someone rule over them who did not walk the walk and talk the talk. And so based on his position, it is very, very possible that Nicodemus had, had arrived in some respects as it relates to uh, the Jewish uh, ideal and the Jewish way of living. And yet, and yet, his very presence in seeking out Jesus by night here indicates, indicates that he was still seeking, wasn't he? There was something that was missing in his life. These things had not satisfied the desire and the longing uh, in his soul for lasting peace and hope. And I just want you to know something, that, that doing, doing things, uh, whether, they be, uh, whether they be religious things or otherwise, doing things, listen, will never quench your thirst. It will never satisfy the longing of your, of your soul. Um, he was so desperate. He was so desperate for this, uh, this, this, this satisfaction that he actually seeks out Jesus, though he knew, though he knew that this could jeopardize his position and his authority. If anybody finds out that I have gone and that I have spent time with Jesus and that I have sought him to teach me one-on-one, oh, that uh, certainly would have been, uh, been a very dangerous thing for him and for this position of leadership that he enjoyed within his community. And so we have to ask the question, what drew Nicodemus to Jesus? I think it's, I think it's two things. I think it's what we talked about a moment ago, and that is no satisfaction, no lasting hope, no lasting joy, no lasting peace. But I think there's something else in addition to the disappointment that is revealed uh, to us in just the simple fact that he's with Jesus on this night. And I think that second thing is recorded for us in verse number two. And notice what he says in verse number two. He says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, and here's why we know that. For no man, no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus, Nicodemus is there in front of Jesus that night, I believe, number one, because of the, uh, the, the, the lack of satisfaction and the lack of peace and hope uh, that he had, though he was an extremely religious man, uh, though he'd crossed all of his T's and dotted all of his I's, he still was missing something. But I believe there's a second reason why he comes to Jesus. And that is this, that there is an intrigue that is going on in his heart and his life and is developing. And, and here's why it's developing. It is developing in his heart and in his life as he watches Christ's transforming power at work in the lives of other people. He, 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 he's, he's, he's watching Jesus. And he's seeing Jesus as he performs miracles on people. And he says there, there, there must be something different about this man because no one, no one can possibly do these things without the power of God resting upon his life. And that's what drew him. That's what brought him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he came by night, he was at least there. We can be thankful for that, can't we? And he says, he says to him, he says, here's, here's why I'm here. Because no one, no one is able to do the things that you are able to do except God be a part of their life. Jesus' first recorded miracle is discovered in the previous chapter, John chapter number 2. Jesus there performs the first miracle in a place called Cana of Galilee. 
There he turns water into wine at a wedding feast. But he doesn't stop there. The Bible says that he comes down to Jerusalem for, uh, for, some, for the feast of, uh, of Passover, according to verse number 23. And while he is there, the Bible says that many believed in his name, chapter 2 and verse number 23, when they saw the miracles which he did. I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that, that here's, here's, why, here's why people seek the Lord. Here's why they seek the Lord. They seek the Lord because they're missing something. And, and they, need, they need the Lord to, 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 to fill that. They, they've tried everything else. They've, 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 they've knocked on every other door and nothing has satisfied. That's why they, that's why they turn to the Lord. Because they've tried everything that they know how to do, and, 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 they've, and, they've, and they've gone through all of these things, and nothing has worked. But I believe there's a second reason why people seek the Lord, and that is they seek the Lord, listen, when they see his transforming power at work in the lives of other people. Then you may be sitting here, and you may be saying, does it really matter if I live a holy life? Does it really matter if I, uh, if I kick my addictions and if I overcome the, the, the things that, uh, the sin that does so easily beset me as is referenced in Hebrews chapter number 12? And I'm here to tell you this morning, it really matters. And here's why it matters. Because there's a lost world living around us. And when they see believers or those who claim to be believers, be believers living, listen, li- living at a level that is consistent with the level that they're living at, they think to themselves, well, he must not be much of a savior because he's making no difference in the life of that individual. And I'm just here to tell you that Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I, I watched you the other day and I watched as a man came to you who was blind and you opened his eyes so that he could see. I know of someone who has laid at, a, at the gate of the city and he has begged every day of his life and yet when you came upon him and you touched his body, he doesn't have to beg anymore. He's going to work now because his legs finally work. And I'm just simply saying that as he saw the, the transforming power of Christ at work in the lives of these individuals. He said, I, I, I gotta go find out more about this person. And we're wondering, we're wondering why Christianity is dying in our culture. Why aren't people being saved? Why aren't people coming to Christ? And I wonder, I wonder if it's not because we as believers, we're not living the life. There is no evidence in many, in many respects, in many cases, in many churches of the transforming power of the work of Christ in the lives of people. It's a convicting thought for those of us who are believers because in our lives, if he is not real and if he is not evident, it very likely will not create an appetite for the gospel in the lives of those who are around us. Therefore, you and I as God's people, we ought to give evidence of the miracle working power of Christ at work in the hearts of lives of people. As a boy, I remember singing a song, The Things I Used to Do. I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. I think we even made up a new verse. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. Why? Because there's been a great change in my heart since I've been born again. John chapter number three, there it is right there. Nicodemus says, here's why I'm here. I'm here because I've tried everything that I know to do and, and nothing works. And in addition to that, I've watched you And I've watched you touch the lives of people around me. And they're not the same. And as a result, I'm coming to you and I'm asking, who are you? 
Who are you? Are you you really who you claim to be? Jesus has a captive audience, a desperate audience this night. And I got to thinking, he could have told them anything he wanted to tell them. I mean, think about all of the things that Jesus could have imparted to this man. And yet, and yet we discover that he basically spends time telling him two things. And I want to highlight the two things that are discovered in our text. Here's what he tells. Here's what he tells a man who, who, says, who, says, who says basically, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles. So, so, so Jesus says, well, you, you think I'm a teacher? Well, then sit down. Let me teach you a couple of things. And here's what he teaches him. Number one, he teaches him this. He says, first of all, two births. Two births are necessary for eternal life. Jesus says, you you, you look at me as a teacher? Well, why don't you be my student for a few minutes and let me teach you some things. Some some things that that the world doesn't know but the world needs to know. And he starts right here. Could have told him anything. He starts right here and he says, two births. Two births are necessary, are essential for eternal life. And as he, as he, as he covers this, we discover uh, that he, first of all, defines the two births. He defines the two births in, in, in verses 3 to 7. And, and he does that. He does that for a reason. Here, here's why he does that. Because look what, look what takes place in verse, uh, verse number 4. When he says, he says, except a man be born again, has two births, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Look at Nicodemus' reaction. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he, can he enter, into, enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You ever seen a, you ever seen a big old boy? standing next to his sweet little mama, and you think to yourself, how did that happen? How did that happen? Nicodemus is saying, that's not happening again, I can assure you. I can't, I can't possibly enter into my mother's womb a second time and be born. So there's this confusion, there's this major misunderstanding. Nicodemus is not getting it. And so Jesus says, well, let me, let me define what I'm talking about. Well, let me explain what I mean. And, it, and it's very likely that maybe there's someone sitting here today. He said, wait, I've, I've never even heard that there are two births. I remember sitting in a living room of a gentleman's home probably close to 10 years ago, and, and he had a Catholic background. And, and as I was talking to him, I turned the conversation. The conversation turned to spiritual things. And I asked him the question. I said, sir, have you ever been born again? And he looked at me like, a, uh, like he had never heard of such a thing. And he even, he even proceeded to say, I, I've, I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean two births or being born again? And I said, if you allow me to get my Bible out of my vehicle, I'll get it. And I'll show you from the Bible where Jesus said, you must be born again. There's a lot of confusion in our world about this idea of being born again. It's one of the reasons why when I'm talking to someone, I don't like to ask them the question if they're, they're, they're saved. Everybody's saved, right? I mean, everybody's saved. Yeah, I'm saved. I'm good. Do you know the Lord? Sure, I know the Lord. No, I like to get a little bit more specific with people because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said to him, have you been born again? Ye must be born again. And so he defines the two births. The first birth that he talks about is the physical birth. He says that in, in these verses. He says in verse number five, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water. That's the, that's the, the, the physical birth. Then he goes on to say in verse number six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. In order, listen, in order for you to have eternal life someday, you must have physical life here on this earth. That is an essential. 
You must have a, you must have a physical life at, at some point. All who have been conceived, whether those who were physically born or whether those who were never physically born, they maybe died in their mother's womb or, of course, in our culture, many that have been aborted in their mother's womb. Listen, they're going to spend eternity somewhere. Why? Because it was here on this earth that they were created by God and that God created them with a purpose and with an identity in this life. The Bible's very clear about that. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter number one and verse number five, you know, we're living in a world that, that doubts the validity of life in the womb. They, they doubt the personhood of those individuals. Those little, those little children. It's amazing when, when a pregnancy is wanted, the mother always refers to it as a baby. When a pregnancy is unwanted, what does the mother refer to it as? It's a fetus, a clump of cells. It's not a baby. Now, that's the mental gymnastics that you have to go through if you're going to deny the truth of the word of God. But listen, listen understand, understand this, that every individual uh, that has ever been formed in the womb here in this world, God has a plan for their life. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You know what God was saying to Jeremiah? He's saying, Jeremiah, listen, before you were ever formed, I had a plan for your life. I knew who you were going to be and what you were going to do and what I had created you to do. And guess what? If, if that's true about Jeremiah, that's true about you and me as well. Isn't that something? You're, you're, not, a, you're not a mistake. You're not the product of just two people coming together. No, listen, listen, you were formed. You were formed by the very God of the universe. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so in order to have eternal life, one must have physical life first. The water birth, the, the flesh, he's speaking, about, uh, he's speaking about that. Not all who have experienced the physical birth will be in heaven. You know that, right? There'll be many, many people that will never see heaven with their own eyes, never experience a, a, a day in that celestial place. Not all who, who will be in heaven, uh, not all who have experienced the physical birth will be in heaven, but everyone in heaven will have experienced physical life here on this earth. Being born of water and flesh is how Jesus describes it in John 3, verses 5 and 6. But then he, he talks about not just the physical birth, but he gives, talks about the, the spiritual birth. Jesus declares in verse number five, except a man be born of water and of the spirit. The word spirit there is capitalized. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Physical birth, physical life is a commonality among all those in heaven. But listen, physical life is not the reason they're in heaven. I'll let that sink in for just a moment. In fact, physical life or physical birth alone that alone, you know what that does? That condemns us to a place of suffering for all of eternity. The Bible says in Psalm 51 in verse number five, David is writing, he said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Job chapter 14, in verse number four, the Bible says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. You know what God said? God said by nature. Listen, in, in the physical form, in your flesh, by nature, you know what you are? You're the child of wrath. That's what you are. You're a child of disobedience, according to Ephesians 2.2. The Bible clearly reveals that by nature, by physical birth, we are unclean. We are full of iniquity. We are full of sin. And this is why the spiritual birth is so necessary. Because we're born dead. And separated from God, though Nicodemus looked like a very impressive man, as an outward perspective, Christ looked at Nicodemus, he looked at him, and he knew that he was in desperate need of experiencing spiritual birth. Without it, he was condemned. Though he was a ruler, though he was a master in Israel, without the spiritual birth, he was condemned to eternal death and suffering. Someone once said it this way, I like it. Here's how it goes, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. The physical birth gives entrance to this life. The spiritual birth gives entrance to eternal life. And so Jesus defines the two births. But notice, secondly, Jesus highlights the difference the new birth makes. Would you look with me in verse number eight? The Bible says there, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. You know, many, many reject this idea of a second birth or being born again. And here's why. They reject this teaching because this type of thing is not clearly visible. Those who are born again, they don't, they don't wear a, a, a halo around their head. They're not given some other discernible mark that differentiates them from others who have not experienced the new birth. You know, when you got saved, you didn't begin to glow or, or, or shine. God didn't put a, a little stamp on your forehead that indicates that you're a child of God. You don't wear a, 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 a halo around your head that indicates, hey, there's a holy person right there. No one can, can really see in a, in a physical sense, can they see or, or, or have evidence of the fact that you have been born again. And, and as a result, there are many, many people who have a hard time uh, processing this sort of thing. You know, people that are born again, they deal with the same struggles everybody else does. Born again people deal with disappointment. They deal with frustration. They deal with heartache. They even deal with sin. And Christ could see that Nicodemus was having a hard time figuring all this out. I, I just, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but based on the conversation, how Jesus is leading in this conversation, I almost get the idea that Nicodemus sort of has a confused look on his face. You know, that's sort of the look I had on my face a lot when I was in school. This is a teacher-pupil type of a scenario here. And I know there, I know there were times I'm, I had a weird look on my face, and the teacher's looking at me saying, you know, I think I need to go back to the beginning and maybe come at this from a different angle or start all over again. Or a lot of times they just look at me and say, see me after class, all right? And, and so here's Nicodemus, and he must be, he must be sort of puzzled or at least looking puzzled, having sort of a, a quizzical look on his face. And Jesus, Jesus says, well, well let, me, let me try to illustrate it for you. you know, illustrations are so powerful. And to be able to, to take something that is here on this earth, why Jesus used parables so often as a master teacher. 
And he would use parables, things that everyone was aware of to try to illustrate eternal truths. And so here he, 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 he illustrates this concept with, with talking about the wind. He says, he says you know, the wind, it, it blows where it listeth or where it wants. And he, and he, and he says that, that you hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it came from and you, and you don't know where it's going. In other words, he's saying the wind is, a, is an invisible type of a thing. And yet, and yet, isn't it true that the mark that the wind leaves on objects, on things, is quite visible and quite discerning, isn't it? So he's illustrating this. And he's saying, listen, don't, don't, get, don't get all confused or frustrated because you cannot see the Holy Spirit. You need to look for evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of people. That's where, uh, just because you cannot see the, the wind, uh, you know when you've been to a place that's been hit by a severe windstorm. Now, we, we live here in Northeast Ohio, and we don't have to deal with that too often, and I'm thankful for that. But you know, there's parts of our country in which uh, maybe it's referred to as a tornado alley or, you know, in which those types of things blow through, and when they do, my, the devastation they bring. Now, you can't, you can't see physically the wind. It's an invisible thing. You can hear the sound of it. And you can certainly see the mark that it leaves uh, on the places that it visits, but you cannot see it with the naked eye or with the physical eye. But you can see evidence of it. And so Jesus, Jesus is saying, Let, look, for, look for evidence. Look for the difference that the new birth makes in the life of people. Some of you are sitting here and you're saying, you know, I don't know that I've experienced a new birth. Or some of you are saying, I think I've experienced a new birth. What's the evidence of the new birth? Here's the evidence of the new birth according to Scripture. What kind of difference does it make in a life? Here's the the difference it makes. Number one, those who experience the new birth have a different eternal destiny. They're They're going someplace else, my friend. This world is not their home. They truly are just passing through. God is creating a place for them. On the other side, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That is certainly true. But listen to the rest of the verse, Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says in 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. 1 John 5.11 and 12, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son he that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son of god hath not life several years ago someone gave me a book entitled the dying testimonies of the saved and the unsaved and my it was a powerful book talks about recorded testimonies of people who were on their deathbed and the things that they were experiencing and the things that they were saying and by and large on the deathbed of those who had experienced the new birth, there was a sense of calm and peace and even beauty, if we can even say that. After all, the Bible does say that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, none of us in this room are in a hurry to die, but if you're born again, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You're not necessarily in a hurry to die, but you aren't necessarily afraid of it either. Why? Because you know where you're going. You have eternal life. That makes a difference, doesn't it? I've prayed with people in hospital rooms before they go in for surgery, and there's an amazing calm that settles over people. You know what that is? That's the, that's the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing into that room and blowing into their life. You can't see him physically, but oh, you can see evidence that he's there. The wind is blown in that room, and there is a, there is a peace, and there is a calm. On the other hand, dying testimonies of the unsaved, on their deathbeds, oh, there's been agony, 
fear, terror, and dread. It's a fascinating thing when you consider it. What's the difference? The difference is the eternal life. It makes a difference in the life and the destiny of those who are born again. The new birth guarantees an eternal home in heaven. The person who experiences it shall see and enter into the kingdom of God. And I would just say that if you're here today, and when you think about death and you think about your own mortality, if all you can think are feelings and thoughts of terror and dread, it may be, it may be that maybe God is trying to get your attention and say, you need to experience a new birth. Because once you experience a new birth, it's not that you're eager to die or you want to die even, but there is a calm, there is a peace that settles over you. You don't have to fear that anymore. Not only does it make a difference in the eternal destiny of those who experience a new birth, but secondly, those who experience the new birth will have a different physical life as well. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 1 John 5, 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You know, someone who's been truly born again, they, they should begin to display evidence of that. The wind of the Holy Spirit should begin to blow in their life, and, it, and when it does, it changes some things about them. There's a change in behavior, isn't there? There's a change in priorities. There's a change in habits. There's even a change in loves. We begin to love things that God loves, and we begin to hate things that God hates. They are a new creature, and old things or former things should begin to pass away. There should be evidence of them overcoming the world and its sinful lusts. Listen, though one cannot see the Holy Spirit in their life in a physical, visible way, they should very clearly see evidence of the spiritual presence, Spirit's presence in their lives by the way that their life is transformed. But notice as we continue our journey through this third chapter, we discover thirdly that Nicodemus doubts the reality of the new birth. You notice that in verse number nine, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? How can these things be? You know, Nicodemus does not respond here with a heart full of faith. You ever have to think about that? Here is, here is Jesus. Now, I, I think in our church, we've got some soul winners in this church, some people that if, if, if you were to come to me and say, listen, I, we got one chance to give the gospel to my loved one. Who, who can you send? I, I can think of names in this church. I would call them right away. Say, would you please go see this person? I just know that I just know they're soul winners. They have a heart of compassion, and they've dealt with it for many, many years, and people can just sense that in them. Here's Jesus. I think about what a, what a soul winner Jesus was. And yet Nicodemus looks at him and he says, I don't know whether you're telling me the truth. How, how can it be the things that you're telling me? How can these things be possible? You know, you and I should not be discouraged when our best attempts at pleading with men to be born again, when they fall on deaf or doubting ears. Even Jesus himself was doubted and questioned as to the things that he was saying and whether these things could be possibly true or not. And as I, as I, I read through these verses in Jesus' response, notice that Jesus highlights why people doubt. Number one, I think some people doubt because of their position. Some doubt because of their position. Look what he says in verse number 10. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? So what is Jesus highlighting here? He's highlighting this man's position in other words, um, it seems that Nicodemus' position was of great importance to him and that his hesitation to believe might have something to do with this position and status as a ruler and a master in Israel. And I just want to say this, always remember, always remember that you will be what you are down here for a brief period of time. 
But remember this, eternal life is forever. It's forever. And what a thought that some people would reject Jesus because, well, I'm a, I'm a great person. I have a lot of wealth. I'm a political leader. I'm an influencer. And that they would reject Jesus because they hold some position down here. And Jesus, Jesus says, well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. You, you need to stop and think about this for a moment. Because you're a master and a ruler in Israel, and you will be for maybe the next 20 years or so, but you're going to spend eternity somewhere. And don't, 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 let, don't let your position, whatever it may be, some of, you, some of your position is not a great position, it's a horrible position. And you've sinned, and you've transgressed, and you've violated God's laws and his commands, and you think to yourself, God will never save me because of what I've done. I'm here to tell you, Jesus can save anyone. Anyone who would come to him with a heart of faith. But some doubt because of their position. No, secondly, some doubt because of their intellect. Look at verse number 11. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And Jesus is saying, that he knows what Nicodemus is having a hard time with. And that is this, that he's having a hard time imagining that this man that's talking to him, this Jesus, who as far as I know, he's a son of a carpenter. He's not spent any time in the schools that I've spent in. He, he, he's not been taught by the people that I've been taught. How can this man teach me anything? I'm so much smarter than him. I have so many more degrees and so much more training than him. Some people doubt because of their intellect. You know, intellect is a wonderful thing. It really is, to, to know things and to grow in knowledge. It's a blessing, it can be. But can I say that it, if it ever becomes a deterrent or a hindrance to faith, then it turns out to be a curse. You see, some people spend so much time in a classroom, so much time in a book, that, that they literally, they have, to have, they have to have a textbook answer for everything. Jesus says, hold on a minute. The Bible says, hold on a minute. You, you cannot please me without faith. You must, you must come to me and you must believe some things though, that, though, you cannot see, though you cannot see visible, physical evidence of those things. You must come to me by faith. And some people have a hard time with that because their intellect gets in the way. Hold on, you, 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 you must tell me, you must tell me this and you must tell me that. I, just, I have to tell you, I'm a pastor. I've been saved for more than 30 years. I've been in church my whole life. And there are people that come to me with questions and I don't have all the answers for them. Here's what I do know. I do know that Jesus saves. I know that Jesus was, was perfect, that he was born of a virgin. I can't figure that out, but he was born of a virgin. God did it. God, God did that miracle in the womb of that woman. Jesus was born and the, the eternal one was confined to a body for 33 and a half years here on this earth. He walked to this hot. He lived a sinless life. He suffered. He bled. He died. They buried him and he rose again. I don't have all the answers for you, but I do know that. I know that. And I believe it. I believe you don't have to have all the answers. Intellect sometimes causes people to doubt. Some doubt because of their experience. Look in verse number 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus, Jesus says, he says, listen, if you're, if you're looking for someone to ascend up to heaven and then to come back and tell you what it was all about, forget it. It's not gonna happen. And Jesus said, I, I will tell you that I've ascended. I've come, come down from heaven, <laughs> But you don't believe that because you, you, you didn't see me before I was ever there. I mean, you understand this is the conversation that's being had. And Jesus says, Jesus says, listen, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking if you could just have an experience or if you could meet someone that had an experience, well, then you'll believe. 
I just want you to know again, it goes back to faith. It's all about faith. It's not about experiences. It's not about intellect. It's not about position. And just because some have never experienced heaven, they wonder if it is a reality or not. Their thinking is this, if I can't see it, if I can't hear it, if I can't experience it, if I can't touch it, then it must not be real, it must not be true. What I would say is don't allow your experience or your lack of experience to keep you from being born again. The Bible is clear. It is appointed a man once to die, and after this, are you ready for the after this? Most people are not. Secondly, the second great truth that Jesus shares and will be done, and that is this, the new birth is made possible through faith in God's Son. Jesus told him two things. He said two births are necessary for eternal life. And then he said this, he said, in order to experience that new birth, it's only through, it's only through faith in God's Son. He says in verses 13 and 14, this truth that the Son of God came down here to be lifted up. That's what he says. Look in verse number 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You know why Jesus came down? Jesus came down here to be lifted up. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came down to be lifted up. He came to be lifted up, but this elevation was not to a throne necessarily. He was first lifted up on a cross to suffer and die for our sins. Jesus knew his audience. He knew he was talking to a master and a ruler in Israel. He knew he was talking to someone who knew his Old Testament. And therefore, Jesus referenced the story, didn't he? He said in verse number 14, he says, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In Numbers 21, God sent judgment among his people. Here's why he sent the judgment, because they were complaining against him and his servant Moses. Now, this judgment was in the form of a, a fiery serpents that God released among his people there in the wilderness. And those uh, who were bitten by these serpents were going to soon die. God, that was God's judgment on their lives. Of course, we know that God is always rich in mercy and love and grace and compassion. And so God made a way of escape for those people. And this way of escape was in the form of a brass serpent that was lifted up on a pole those who looked upon this serpent, they could be healed and given new life. And according to this text, Jesus, Jesus, listen, was sent by God. He was sent down here to also be lifted up on a pole. He was sent to be lifted up on a cross. And he says, listen, if you'll just look to me, you can be cured from the fiery serpent that has bit and is seeking to devour and destroy your life. That's what Jesus came down to do. Jesus came down so that he could be lifted up but not lifted up on a, on a throne or some uh, regal place of majesty. No, first lifted up on a cross to suffer and to bleed and die. Why? Because that's our greatest need. That's our greatest need is to deal with our sin, to deal with the fiery serpent that has bit us, that is seeking to devour us, that has its, its poison running through our, our veins. God sent his son Jesus down here to be lifted up. Those who have been bitten, have a death sentence upon them, and that's every one of us. But God, in his mercy, he sent his son down from heaven to be lifted up on a cross so you and I would not have to die. And he concludes this conversation by saying this in verses 15 to 18, and that is this, listen, belief in the Son of God brings everlasting life. That whosoever, verse 15, believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life, and perhaps followed by the most well-known verses in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world 
when he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means to die and be lost for all of eternity. Should not perish but have everlasting life. How long is everlasting? It's everlasting. It never ends. Eternal life. Jesus is talking about eternal life here. And he said this, faith in God's son, belief in the son of God brings everlasting life. I have good news for you this morning. Did you know the Bible references Nicodemus two other times? The first time is in John chapter number 7. In verses 50 to 52, there is a conversation among the rulers and the masters in Israel. What are we going to do with Jesus? And Nicodemus, he steps in and he, he protests the plotting that they're going about to end the life of Jesus. He, he sort of is coming a little bit more public, isn't he, with his faith? You know, in John 3, he comes by night. Now he's standing in the middle of the Sanhedrin. He's saying, hold on a minute, guys. Let's, let's, let's not be so fast to put this man to death. But that's not the last that we see of Nicodemus. Would you go with me as we conclude to John chapter number 19? John chapter number 19, just a few chapters away from where we've been most of the morning. John chapter 19, would you look in verse number 39? Jesus has been crucified. They've taken his lifeless body off of the cross. And a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea is going to allow him to be, to be buried in his tomb. The Bible speaks of that in verse number 38. They, they're disciples of Jesus, and they're beseeching a Pilate that he would give them uh, the body of Jesus to bury it. And notice verse 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. And he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Nicodemus is there, and what is he doing? He's standing at the foot of the cross. He's involved in the burial of Jesus, that Jesus might receive a proper burial. It seems to me, doesn't it, that he's no longer a seeker. He's no longer even a secret disciple, that he's, he's more out and he's more open with his faith. I believe, if you're born again, I believe you're going to meet Nicodemus someday. When you do, you can ask him about this night. What was it like? And I mean, think, Nicodemus, you, you were the one that Jesus said those words to. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What a, probably didn't realize in the time, did you, Nicodemus? But my, what a verse that has been. And the difference that it's made in the lives of people. You must be born again. As we conclude this morning, I ask this question, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Two births are necessary for you to have eternal life. And the new birth, the second birth, the spiritual birth is only made possible through faith in God's Son. Our heads